listening to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Glazer. Welcome back. Today's guest is Kat McGee from Dwayne Morris. Kat spoke with us from Philadelphia, and we discussed her career and role at the firm, her work representing medical patients, survivors of domestic violence and sex trafficking, what motivates and inspires her, and more. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A few weeks ago, we had Valentine Brown on the show, and we're excited to talk more about pro bono at Dwayne Morris. Let's jump right in. First, could you tell us a little bit about your background? In other words, tell us about you. Sure. So I'm originally from the D.C. suburbs as well, as I know Valentine mentioned. I grew up a couple suburbs out from where she grew up, actually. So in a pretty diverse socioeconomically education, uh, racially community, daughter of educators, very strong feminist home, raised to be whoever I wanted to be. And then I moved down south and I went to college at Vanderbilt University and did law school at University of Alabama. Okay, so I really want to know, how did you get to Tuscaloosa? Sure. Uh, It's a kind of winding tale um, with my own, involving my own prejudices. But so uh, I was already down south in Nashville for college um, when I decided I wanted to go to law school. I decided I wanted to stay in the south um, and practice rural poverty, social justice, civil rights law. I did my first year of law school at University of Florida which was wonderful, Um, and I I was hoping to do a woman's studies master's as well, Um, and that program wasn't really as developed when I was there, so I decided to transfer to Tuscaloosa, to University of Alabama, um, where they had a certificate in public interest law and where I got to intern at the Southern Poverty Law Center. So that is, I ended up there... um, to be able to do more public interest law, which I guess is apropos for our conversation today. Absolutely. So we're going to drill down uh, more, obviously, into that. But I want to pause and sort of give a roll tide because I grew up in Alabama. So Really? I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, I Where grew up about? in Birmingham, Alabama. And mm-hmm. I did, uh, the summer before my senior year of college, I did an internship with the ACLU in Montgomery. And that sort of sealed uh, the deal yeah. for me. But I, it's funny that you say that because it is a um, uh, uh, a cocktail party game of mine when I like to torture people to sort of be like, well, guess, where do you think I grew up? And it, you know, we pretty much end the game before anyone ever gets to Alabama. So. Well, now living in Philadelphia, most people can't believe that I spent time in the deep south. And and I would say until I visited and spent time in Birmingham, um, I had probably some of the same notions of what the south is um, or was. And then when I visited, um, realized that I was judging people and places prematurely as well. And I absolutely loved my time in Alabama and Tuscaloosa and Montgomery and have fantastic fast friends uh, from my, my time there and try to go back at least 
every other year, if not more frequently, for a football game, et cetera, et cetera. I was just in southern Alabama this summer. That's amazing. I do admit I still call my brother Bubba, so there's that. <laughs> but he's Bub to me. We True have Southern. That. True Southernism. Yeah, exactly. He does not call me sissy, so it's definitely a one-way street. Well, my sister calls me sissy, even oh, though our go. southern roots are, you know, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, so not as far as the south, but my sister does call me sissy and always has. <laughs> So you mentioned earlier your um, passion for social justice and that you were going to become a lawyer. So what else? What do you think factored into your decision to become a lawyer? Well, I actually was thinking about this before our call today. And when I went to college, I did not want to be a lawyer. I had tried a what is now pretty well known as teen court. Um, I volunteered with the local teen court in Montgomery County, Maryland. As a sophomore and junior, I believe, in high school, and had decided I did not want to be a lawyer. I knew I wanted to do something to help people. That was very much a part of my childhood and with my family, but I did not want to be a lawyer. So I went to college, um, and while I was there, I was a woman's studies and poli sci major. Um, and I volunteered with a really awesome program in Nashville helping survivors of trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation and domestic violence and got involved in the community and through that work and a really influential professor of mine there ended up doing a community learning program with the legal aid of Middle Tennessee in the Upper Cumberland, uh, working as a court advocate uh, for domestic violence survivors who were seeking protection from abuse orders. Um, at Legal Aid, they only had one family law attorney for, at that point, for Nashville and the surrounding counties. Uh, and so they had social workers and students that came in to help people, you know, maybe some of the less contentious PFA petitions. Um, and so I did that the spring of my junior year. Uh, for credit and then ended up doing it the rest of my time in college um, because I loved it so much. Um, but that's when I decided to go to law school because I was helping these primarily women and found it really meaningful. Um, but then they would get a PFA, but there were no resources for them to hire an attorney and there weren't sufficient resources at the legal aid at that point um, for the one family law attorney to be able to help everybody that they got a PSA for. And so, you know, really being able to separate from their abuser was difficult because custody, child support, et cetera. And so this made me very angry. <laughs> and in my, as I tell people, my so rebellious state, um, I decided I was going to do something about it and go to law school. And so that's my one idea. I really had no desire and um, then decided I wanted to go to law school become um, a woman's rights family law attorney and work within the legal aid system. So uh, that's when I decided to apply and decided I wanted to, at that point, stay in the South and um, help what seemed to be the real lack and dearth of um, legal aid attorneys at the time. So what goes into getting a, a public interest certificate during law school? The public interest certificate is really just focusing on more of the traditional poverty law classes or, uh, you know, classes that folks that would come to legal aid would need help with. So housing law, benefits, civil rights legislation, 
Um, we also, you had to take, if I remember correctly, um, a clinic. Uh, and we had to take a couple extra classes on, like, ethnography of poverty um, and social justice lawyering. Uh, and then you had to volunteer uh, and provide pro bono a certain number of hours. I can't remember how many hours. Um, so it was more concentration in that certificate of public interest law, which was kind of, I was pre-recession and was before really the move towards a certain number of pro bono hours to graduate. So we were the first class That's to amazing. have the public interest yeah. law certificate. And um, it was wonderful. I had a fellowship to work in the clinic at University of Alabama as well, to work for the assistant dean for clinical pedagogy, for lack of remembering his technical title, where I helped develop um, a mediation and alternative dispute resolution clinic and got to work with him on, you know, developing the pedagogy around teaching through clinical education. So it was wonderful. That's amazing. Best, a... One of the best decisions I've ever made in my life oh, been... <laughs> to transfer law school. Yeah. And you were a pioneer. So let's flash forward a little bit. You graduate. What happens next? So I graduated and was very fortunate to have um, the Hunt and Williams Associate Pro Bono Fellowship in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, so Hunt and Williams really on pioneers has been a pioneer in the private law firm um, pro bono program kind of model. And they mid 90s in response to legal aid cut funding cuts started hiring um, recent graduates for a two-year fellowship um, at that point housed in Richmond in Atlanta. And uh, so you would come in and um, work for their pro bono partner. Uh, work. You were a trial attorney in the litigation um, practice group, so had the resources and training of a large law firm, um, got to work for the partners to see how pro bono works in a law firm. And then the majority of your time like 90% of your time um, was donated to the local legal aid and to uh, Hunt and Williams local um, pro bono offices. So they have pro bono offices in Richmond and Charlottesville um, that the firm supports um, to provide legal aid to uh, and pro bono services to low bono individuals who might not qualify for legal aid but still would qualify for pro bono in the community. I am so grateful to talk to you about your fellowship. Um, we've spoken on the show with Scotty Brown, who is yes. with Hunton and Williams, and she administers the program. So we heard about it from sort of yes. the firm side. So it's really exciting to hear about a fellow's perspective, right? The, yes. the sort of participant's perspective. So tell me about starting at the firm. I mean, you had a background, as we've talked about, in sort of hardcore poverty law. And now you're working at a very successful, very resource-heavy uh, private law firm. What what was your, you know, first few days or first few weeks? Did it feel like you had landed in Mars or something? Well, yes, in some <laughs> ways and in some ways not. So I actually did do, the summer before I went to law school, um, I worked as a junior paralegal at Foley, then Foley and Lardner, now Foley in D.C. So I had spent a couple months, you know, yep. in um, the private firm setting. That was my only experience heading into Hunt and Williams. So it was still definitely a shock and I've always told people that um the funny thing for me is that I ended up at a law firm 
doing law, not that I ended up doing pro bono. So maybe the opposite of most pro bono counsel at firms. So ending up there, um, it was it was interesting. Uh, my orientation was on the same day as Lehman Brothers collapsed. So I was a 2008 graduate. So there was a lot of change and discontent within corporate law firms at that time. Um, and and things that I had not necessarily considered or thought about in terms of the practice of law and how it would impact things. And I was part of an entering class of 40 to 50 first-year associates, so something that we do not see these days in the law firm setting. Um, but it was it was also really wonderful and a great way to start practicing law, to be surrounded by really successful, intelligent litigators and the resources of, you know, them wanting to help me learn and prepare to go to court. And so I I got to learn a lot, but it was definitely a different world between my legal aid office and my Hutton Williams office as far as the day-to-day practice. and took some getting used to. Yeah, and, and 2008 was such a formative time to be entering the profession. It's it's such a, like, pivot point on a lot of levels. It's it's really an interesting entry point. It was an interesting time to be a first-year associate and to have something. I had an assured position, you know, a funded fellowship position, so I didn't have the same concerns of other associates, uh, but it was Certainly an interesting time to be kind of an outsider inside the corporate law firm world and to get that insight of how that the recession and, you know, um, all of that affected corporate America. And I feel fortunate to have gotten to have that kind of inside picture. Definitely. And I feel like a lot of PhD dissertations have probably been written kind of analyzing, right? you know, and sort of in the law, in business, and kind of the effect of that sort of massive anxiety injection, and you know, sort mm-hmm. of uncertainty, and what that has led in terms of people's um, decision making and what, you know, their values have become. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of scholarship or a lot of fertile material for people. That so need. true. And it affected what I value even as a legal aid attorney. Well, getting to be, and I, I think one really significant takeaway that has been moving forward in my life, but seeing colleagues who are very successful attorneys and very intelligent, bright, you know, attorneys be so um, anxious and and then also seeing how they responded to that and that at least at that time when I was at Hunt and Williams there was you know such a doubling down on pro bono um you know post recession when then there was kind of a recession amongst nonprofits and legal aid where funding had you know whacked off and they had had to lay off attorneys and so there was really a response by the firm to come in and help backfill that through pro bono um, and so how corporate America can really uh, and private law firms can really you know make such a significant difference in the legal aid community in pro bono services at that time and how um, you know really successful corporate attorneys that sure have put themselves through school and and this is what I tell everybody at St. Morris and etc you know I think it's great do awesome really interesting you know corporate legal work. You've worked really hard to get here, um, but you can also help out in the community. And you can also use that skill set to help people and to help micro-entrepreneurs and 
veteran-owned businesses in the community, and that's what I saw happen at Hunt & Williams. And so any preconceived notions I have uh, had of corporate law firms and lawyers in them um, certainly were dashed by that and by seeing how the attorneys there, you know, really came together to support their community. And that's the, what I preach still today is you can do both and I'm just your karma. I'm here to help balance karma and um, help make sure our firm does a little bit of everything. I, I really appreciate that observation because I, I it shows that we don't have to be so siloed, right? That you, you, you don't have to be, you know, sort of only a poverty law, you know, focused lawyer working in a nonprofit or public interest setting, but that the private bar and, and law firms can be very involved and do a lot of good. And, and you see, you know, sort of even in, in law schools now that people can be part of the public interest crowd, but they can also be headed to private practice and that we don't have to be um, super divided and siloed, but that, that it can be fluid and that when we work mm-hmm. together, we can achieve more. So I think that's a really um, important point. Let's flash forward a bit and tell us how you got to Dwayne Morris. Sure. So after my fellowship, I had a job in D.C. at the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty as their pro bono coordinator. And then my family obligations brought me to Philadelphia. So I left that position middle of the recession, moved to Philadelphia, um, resat for the bar because I'd only been practicing three years at that point, um, and worked with some of our local legal aides here in Philadelphia uh, to get to know the public interest community while I waited for my bar results. And then through old-fashioned networking, going back to the University of Alabama connection. Uh, During that time period, I reached out to, at that point, the only other University of Alabama law school grad in the city here, who happened to be then and still is a corporate securities partner here at Dwayne Morris. And I introduced myself and I said, you know, we don't necessarily practice in the same area, but I'm, you know, seeking to just get to know the legal community in the city. Can we have coffee? And we met and became friends and still are, uh, and he now does pro bono. And uh, he introduced me. He said, well, there's not much I can do. You know, I'm an M&A attorney, but I'll introduce you to our pro bono counsel. And I met our former pro bono counsel here at the firm. And uh, about four to six months later, she contacted me and said, I'm pitching hiring a second attorney for the pro bono position. Would you be interested? But yes. Most definitely. Uh, and so I was offered the job. That's amazing. So very traditional networking. Yeah, that's amazing. And we'll send this to the alumni office. <laughs> because that's a Please do. Story. <laughs> that's, well <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so how do you spend your time? Tell us what you do in your role and a little kind of breakdown of your role's responsibilities and how you spend uh, a day, a week, a month, a year. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. Yep. Um, so I am the one attorney at Dwayne Morris that 100% of her time is donated to pro bono and public interest work. I know from the podcast with Valentine, she described how um, we have her, she's our pro bono partner and she splits her time with her immigration practice and then um, chairing our pro bono committee and, and leading the pro bono program here. And we have a social worker as well, Casey Obenchain, uh, who works with us. Um, so in my role, 
I would say my goal this year is that I will spend about 60% of my time managing the pro bono practice and 40% of my time practicing law, poverty law. Um, I'd say right now I'm at about 70-30, which is where I was last year. And each year I challenge myself to try to, you know, interweave more substantive practice both because I think it's important to practice what you preach. And also as I'm entering my ninth year of practice now, so as a still somewhat young attorney, I like to think I'm still a young attorney in some ways, um, I think it's important to keep developing and keep growing and um, keep practicing. Um, So that's kind of the very basic breakdown is uh, and how I spend a day depends on the time of year, whether we're in the fall when we have a lot of pro bono management obligations, the firm's annual meeting and presenting to all of the firm leadership about what we're doing and our goals for the next year, as well as, you know, managing clinics with ABA pro bono month, or we have, we will have this November our third annual um Veterans Week of Service, which is our firm's, you know, annual big pro bono effort, um, strategic, you know, one day or one week effort. Um, And so there's a lot of, you know, management and preparation and planning that goes into that part of the year. Um, Otherwise, my days are spent between helping people, advising people on their cases, you know, uh, performing risk management, bringing cases into the firm, liaising with nonprofits. Um, you know, as I tell people, I do business development too. It's just different with, with different people. Um, but, you know, getting to know communities, figuring out what the niches are where we can make a difference in our community and, and help provide access to justice, um, making sure cases are appropriate for, for pro bono representation and um, then practicing. And I try to make sure I do some sort of practice with my clients every day because it feeds my soul. That's amazing. Um, Let's talk about your substantive practice. What areas of poverty law do you practice in? And uh, tell us a little bit about the substantive legal work. And then we'll pivot back to the pro bono program writ large. Sure. So I'm a family law attorney, family women's rights juvenile justice attorney by trade. Uh, that's what I did until I got here to Philadelphia. Um, and I still practice dependency law with the support center for child advocates here in Philadelphia and handle dependency cases as well as some family law cases when they are impacting somebody's or would impact somebody's immigration status. Um, I think one of the great things we can do as a law firm is that we aren't, um, you know, hampered by some of the constrictions of our legal aid agencies, and so we can provide holistic legal services, which has really been my goal ever since college and legal aid was to be able to provide holistic representation, and so that we can do both. So I do a fair amount of um, gender-based and violence-based immigration work. Um, So, And then um, something that I've gotten much more involved in since coming to the firm um, has been more the idea of medical legal partnership. I helped establish a medical legal partnership with one of the hospitals here in Philadelphia, providing civil legal services to oncology patients and people with terminal illnesses. 
Um, I work with our legal clinic for the disabled to provide guardianship and SSI, uh, veteran service connected benefits, so benefits law um, to people who have various medical issues, you know, either ongoing or have uh, significant, as a result of significant trauma, whether that be in the military or a war zone or in a domestic violence situation or because they are a trafficking survivor, but trying to help them um, get benefits so that they can lead an independent life of their choosing. Um yeah, and that's and then the third area of practice that I do a lot in is um, anti-trafficking work. So representing trafficking survivors in vacator efforts, um, civil remedies, the family law component of it. Um, so I would say overall, I would define myself as traditionally traditionally defined women's rights areas of law is what I do, and as things affect women, we also have a fair amount of do a fair amount of work here at the firm around reproductive rights issues. Uh, we have a pretty significant health law practice, and um, I've been really fortunate that the firm has supported me and supported the health law practice in wading into that area. And so over the past two years, we've gotten much more involved in that landscape, which has been exciting. That's amazing, and I, it's hard to believe you have time to do anything else. <laughs> I love what I do. It's not work if yeah. you love it. Yeah. It's amazing how you have kind of endless capacity when you love what you do. It just, uh, as you said, fuels your soul, and that, that just makes for a totally different outlook. So your team um, has done amazing things with the firm's pro bono program. You are amazingly energetic and creative. What do you think has been key to your success? I think the key to our success has been a couple things, um, one of which being that we came to these positions, Valentine and myself, at a time when, um, and the firm leadership was willing to and was welcoming new ideas. The prior pro bono council started the pro bono program here, and so you know, we've had a traditional pro bono program that went on for years and years, but as that was changing anyway, let's think about, you know, what this next chapter of our pro bono program is going to be. And so we were fortunate to have leadership that when we posed a strategic plan to them um, to kind of bring our firm up to par with other firms where they were now, um, you know, really grabbed onto that and were excited and willing to support us and give us the resources to do that um, and to kind of reimagine our pro bono program has always been successful, but what could it be? You know, can we think outside the box and what could it be in the next chapter? And so having that support has been very key in giving us visibility and entree into, you know, different parts of the firm um, and, and just having them you know, heed the call and get involved in pro bono and, and be doing pro bono themselves has been really significant. So I think both having some guts and um, putting a challenge out there um, for us to make or break. Um, so I think some of it is that we are very entrepreneurial and gutsy, and also we were fortunate to have a leadership that supported us. Um, but I think 
our pro bono program, I, I always describe us um, as entrepreneurial. You know, uh, Valentine's very entrepreneurial. She ran her own firm. Um, I love to solve problems and think of new ideas and new ways to do things and streamline things. And so um, I don't like to keep doing the same thing over and over again um, because you get bored. Um, and so I think we're very entrepreneurial and we're willing to try new ways of doing things, new ideas, and aren't um, hampered maybe by the usual fear that is characteristic of some attorneys. Yeah, of course. What's your best strategy or strategies, because I'm not sure there's one right answer, for getting an attorney at the firm who hasn't done pro bono before to get into it? Mm. Um, It's funny you should ask that, because I know Valentine talked about kind of her role in the program, and I don't know if she tipped you off versus my role, but that's probably my one of my favorite parts of my job. Um, I'm a people person. I love talking to people. I love getting to know people, their ins and outs, their quirks, what they can bring to the table and provide how we can work together. And so for me, um, I have really made it an effort to get to know all of our attorneys, get to know them when they join the firm. We do an orientation for uh, every attorney that uh, joins the firm where we really talk to them about their practice, who they are, what they are, what they care about. And so for me, that attorney that's never done pro bono, I want to just get to know them. Who are you? Because you have this area of law that you're passionate about, but you also have another part of your life. And how can we marry those two? How can we, um, you know, uh, make that practice more robust, perhaps by bringing in these other aspects of your life that you care about? So whether it be, oh, well, I coach my son's little league team and I don't have time to do other things. Well, maybe there's something around youth sport, you know, that could be pro bono if that's something you really care about. Or uh, my wife has this side business, you know, making granola. I'm thinking of one of the partners on our pro bono committee. Um, And, you know, that takes up a lot of our time. Well, he's a corporate partner and you know, entrepreneurial businesses are something he really loves supporting. So, you know, figuring out a that scratches their itch, um, if they're going to be giving up their extra time and marrying those two. So I spend a lot of time doing that, and it's one of my favorite parts of my job. Fantastic. You get to feed other people's souls, right? Help them <laughs> feed their own soul. So Exactly. And then when you talk to them later and they tell you about their case or their client and how they've gotten to know them, it just comes back to you full fold. So that's one of your favorite parts of your job. What else do you enjoy about your work leading the firm's pro bono program? Yeah, so one of the other things I appreciate being here at Dwayne Morris and working with Valentine is, like I said, that entrepreneurial spirit. So, you know, I've been blessed that and fortunate that they've allowed me to go out and get to know the communities that we have offices in. Um and figure out what are those niche areas that maybe other legal aids aren't addressing at this moment or other law firms aren't addressing, whether that because be because of a lack of attorneys or funding or what have you, but what are the unmet areas of legal need and how can we help support those areas? So, for example, when I first came to the firm, we were just starting our relationship with GEMS, Girls Educational and Mentoring Services in New York City, um, which provides 
social services to domestically trafficked women and girls. Um, and that was an area where there had been a lot of work done um, supporting, you know, internationally trafficked individuals, but not as much for domestically trafficked individuals. Um, and so learning about that area of law and finding out how we could support at that point, really social service agencies, not even legal aid, um, and their clients in clearing their records, in obtaining custody or protection from abuse orders, finding housing, getting benefits, um, you know, how we could really help people move forward um, with freedom. Um, and so that's something that we've since developed um, and are now handling cases like that in most of our offices across the U.S. Um, and have gotten really involved in. And so finding those niche areas where we can make a difference um, is something I really enjoy. Another area where we've done that has been on discharge upgrades for um, veterans. Kat, let's take a moment and look at the other side of the coin. What are your greatest mm -hmm. challenges? Getting partners who have just completely honestly the the same challenge we all face having getting partners who have never done pro bono to do pro bono one of our challenges this year uh so each year you know we had it as valentine talked about in her podcast we had posed we posed a strategic plan uh when she and i took over these positions uh to the firm to double our pro bono hours and increase our participation to 100% participation. And the plan we posed as a five-year plan so that we could be successful. We thought that that was an incremental step. And then we achieved the full plan in two years. So after the first year, we scaled it down to a three-year plan, and then we met the goals last year. So this year, we challenged ourselves again to provide even more pro bono services and to really meet 100% participation. Previously, we had said we wanted 50% of attorneys doing over 50 hours. Um, and, and so this year, our challenge has been that, you know, tough wicket of partners who've practiced a long time and have, and are very, very charitable and serve on many boards, but maybe have not engaged in pro bono service before, figuring out how to engage them. So in a recent pro bono newsletter, you included a quote from Muhammad Ali, and I love this quote, don't count the days, make the days count. And it immediately reminded me of sort of a parallel with pro bono, don't count the hours, make the hours <laughs> count. <laughs> what does the quote mean to you and, and what inspires and motivates you? I think it's certainly a quote that Valentine and I, since finding it, have really inspired to live by it. And you'll see we've put it in a lot of our pro bono materials. Um, and what it means to me is you get one shot, you know, and what are you doing to support your community? What are you doing to make your community better than how you found it? Perhaps it all comes back to my years as a Girl Scout. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, what are you doing to help other people? Like I said, I'm very much a people person. I very strongly believe we all have different skills, abilities, um, you know, and gifts to offer. And so I've always approached my practice of law since legal aid of I 
have been fortunate and I have this education uh, that I can help provide to you. But there are other things that I know nothing about and have no gifts in. And it's how can we work together to achieve great things for our community and for each other. And I love, you know, that teamwork. And so that's what that quote means to me is we get one shot. What are we doing with it? You know, um, and on the hours, it does have a correlation to <laughs> don't count the hours, make the hours count. And I think, you know, how that involves pro bono, um, starting pro bono early in your career, making sure it's involved and, and really talking to associates and getting associates involved in something meaningful to them from the beginning. They will keep coming back. Same thing for a partner, though. Um, you know, we hit 75, 80% participation last year among our attorneys. And, you know, so this year we're focusing on that 20%. Um, but everybody who's done pro bono before comes back. Once you give them one case, they want to come back and they learn how to work more efficiently or how to weave this additional case into their uh, caseload, just like they would another, you know, paying case um, and, and learn to make it to make it work. Um, and so I think that that's what it means to us is, like I said, balance, do both, and, and figure out how to make your time matter. I really like the quote too, and I'm sure producer Misha, who I'm here with, who is our communications rock star, <laughs> will be using it, and we will give you all full credit <laughs> as the original. Well, give Muhammad Ali yes, gets the credit exactly, but also um, you as the final. But it went with our each yep. year as part of our um, part of our effort to really raise the visibility of pro bono within the firm and raise the activities of the pro bono program externally, because I know with our firm for a while, and I think with so many other firms um, in corporate America, we're all doing phenomenal work in our communities. Our partners, our associates, you know, our staff members, we're all very involved in our communities. I think Valentine mentioned, you know, Dwayne Morris has historic roots as a Quaker firm, and it still influences aspects of the firm, even though we're not a Quaker firm anymore, but aspects of the firm culture. And I would say one of those things is that Dwayne Morris is very, very involved in our community, both staff and attorneys in pro bono, but also just charitable giving is very involved. And so for a long time, I don't know if we really shone a light on that. We just kind of did it because that's what you're supposed to do, you know, and the people that work here, they know that's part of the firm. That's part of what we do. That's part of being a good citizen to the firm and to our community. Um, and so we've made more of an effort on our marketing and just our communication about what we're doing so people know what we're doing. And so over the past three years, we've had a different theme each year um, that we've kind of, you know, all of our activities have come back to. So our first year was strength through service. Last year was um, and equal justice for all. And that's where the Muhammad Ali quote came from. Um, and we were highlighting people throughout the year, um, people and events that maybe aren't what we always think of as far as equal justice for all, but people who did interesting things in the community and really, you know, made it a part of their lives. Um, and this year is Pro Bono 360. And the goal and our, our logo is the Nuclear Atom logo. And our, our goal is to really infuse um, Pro Bono into all aspects of the firm, life, culture, um, practice, et cetera. Um, 
as well as kind of the 360 we've done. You know, we've achieved our goals. We're at the end of our three-year strategic plan. Where are we going from here? Um, so stay tuned for our report in October and how that gets woven in this year. We will. I can't wait. Um, Kat, share some stories. I know it will be hard for you to choose, but tell us about some examples of pro bono matters that have been particularly meaningful uh, for you. I knew you were going to ask that question, and it's hard to come up with one answer because uh, I have the benefit of getting to work with really amazing people every day. Um, but some of the things that have really inspired me recently um, are our work, and, and I don't necessarily personally do this work. I'm not a corporate attorney, um, but we've done a lot of work with small business owners, micro-entrepreneurs, inventors, um, individuals who have overcome domestic violence and now have are starting their own business. And um, so being able to provide legal assistance and then we've teamed up with clients of the firm to provide business consulting um, assistance to these small business owners um, that in a way that will really make their business successful or educate them that this might not be the you know, million dollar idea and let's not put all your savings into it and think of something else. Um, you know, the, the impact that that's had on those individuals' lives and those individual communities has been really inspiring to me. And I, I like, um, I've, I've been really inspired recently by meeting some of them and thinking of how we can create more clinics or more pro bono projects in our communities that foster and that get more legal resources, financial funding, you know, et cetera, to those individuals. Um, so we've had, in our Pro Bono 360, we've then used um, some of our Pro Bono clients' wares or their catering, et cetera, in our Pro Bono program and tried, you know, part of our goal this year is in bringing them into the firm's supply chain and pipeline. And so seeing our Pro Bono clients that we've helped, you know, form as an entity or hire their first employee or what have you, then at our, you know, catering an event at the firm. I mean, it gives me goosebumps just standing here, you know, or sitting here talking about it. Um, you know, seeing that full circle just, it makes me so happy and so proud of how we are um, relating and, and working within our communities to support, you know, folks that are working to get ahead and working to create a sustainable living for themselves. It's really rewarding and delicious. So, no, that's great. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Some of the other cases I've recently found really rewarding are um, our veterans' benefits and our um, SSI work. Um, again, you know, people that in the veterans' context have been literally pushing that rock up the hill to have it fall down for decades, you know, going on appeals all the way up to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims to get remanded and all goes back down again. And then you start building the case again, um, you know, and, and folks that have served in our military and have whatever the issue may be as a result, um, being able to get them benefits so that they can lead, you know, a decent life and not be cash strapped and in poverty and worrying about where they're going to find food um, just 
fills my soul. And it's so rewarding to get to work with those clients and see getting the back benefits check, whether it be VA or SSI, of a chunk of money that really will, is, it's life-changing, life-changing for that person. Um, I really enjoy getting to be a part of that. So, Kat, if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you change about access to justice or law firm pro bono? I think the one thing I would change about access to justice is funding um, and getting more funding and more money to legal aid agencies uh, because we need more poverty law attorneys at legal aid. Uh, those are the folks that practice poverty law day in and day out, and they are who support pro bono in the law firm or corporate setting so that non-poverty law attorneys um, have the mentorship and the training to help fulfill access to justice. But we need more legal aid attorneys um, to do that. So civil Gideon um, I, is something that we need. We need more resources behind and we need more jurisdictions to follow New York and California's example. So Kat, as you may know, we often end our conversations by discussing pro bono role models. And I think you heard that Valentine Brown identified you as hers. <laughs> so I did not. <laughs> so um, who are your pro bono role models? Feel free to pick as many as you want and tell us why. So I was thinking about this before our talk, and I picked three before knowing Valentine picked me. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to that part of her talk. I must have stopped it prematurely. Yeah, somehow. fast forward to the end. I, I'm sorry for the spoiler, but I, okay. I wanted That's you to okay. know. <laughs> um, so the three I picked, Valentine is one of them as well, not for us to scratch each other's back. Yeah. Uh, but truly, um, it's really been a privilege to work with her the past two and a half years. Um you know, I have practiced poverty law and have gone into poverty law field and nonprofit management, you know, type of area since before law school. Um, so the business side of law was not something that I had had as much experience with. And so working with somebody who's run her own law firm, who's a successful partner in a major AM law firm and getting to learn the business side of it from her has been really invaluable. And then just to see how she has managed to really interweave a significant pro bono practice into it um, and how, how she's been a very good uh, mentor on negotiating um, public speaking and just the management of a law practice. My other two role models would be George Hetrick, um, who is the pro bono partner at Hutton Williams, and was really instrumental in the launching of a movement of pro bono practice within a law firm um, and the role of law firms in access to justice. Uh, and the significant role that they can and need to and should play, as well as his leadership in starting a fellowship in a law firm and a low bono office that stays open late and is open on weekends to help individuals who, you know, we would define as, quote unquote, the working poor. No, I don't like that term at all. Um, 
you know, to really meaningfully, again, provide access to, to justice. And so um, getting to work with him was an honor. And then if, for one last person, if I can, if I can, uh, it's appropriate to uh, thank or, you know, highlight another firm, I would say Catherine Weiss from Lowenstein. Um, you know, I've gotten to know her some over the past two and a half years uh, that I've been in this role with the firm and had an active, um, you know, role in connection with PDI and ABCO and et cetera. And I find her to be such a thoughtful, discerning, intelligent, but like strong as nails and does not take no for an answer unless it is not. Um, and I, I really enjoy listening to her and to her assessment of things, uh, her passion, um, and, 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 you know, just observing her and how she has managed that program. Um, I, I try to listen whenever she raises her hand because I appreciate what she has to say. I do too. Thank she's you. She's one of the most ethical lawyers I've ever met, I think. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Thank you for sharing all three. Valentine is fantastic, and listeners can know by uh, checking out her episode. George Hetrick is amazing, and thank you for sharing. He's sort of the ultimate uh, gentleman lawyer and has affected generations of us in his leadership and um, inspiration and pioneering vision. And as you mentioned, Catherine Weiss is formidable. And uh, I don't think that's the right word. I don't think any of us have failed to learn from her, her, her brilliance and her courage and her vision and what an asset to the, to the world, to the pro bono community. And uh, what great choices. Kat, thank you so much for talking with me today. It has been so inspiring and such a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much to Kat for joining us today. New and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. If you're listening on iTunes or what's now called Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review. Leave some stars, write some comments. It's quick and easy to do. We'd appreciate the feedback and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. Hey listeners, we've gotten some great mail from you and we'd love more. Send your notes and suggestions to pro bono at probonoinst.org. For all of us here at PBI, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.